Happy 4th of July, everybody. I hope that you will be celebrating with your family and your friends in the spirit of liberty and, more importantly, in the spirit of God who provides all of our blessings. Today, instead of living in the present, we are going to go to the past to inform not only how we got here, but also to give insight on how we can follow God in everything we do today. I'm Matt Odegaard, and this is Church Public. Well, welcome back to Church Public. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Matt Odegaard, and I'm happy to be here with you on this 4th of July weekend. If you are celebrating, I wish you well, and I hope that you really do enjoy it to the best of your ability because the freedoms we have in this country were not free. They were paid with a cost, and also they are unique. They are unique to this country because of the very people that began this whole situation. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but before we get there, if you haven't already, go to churchpublic.com. You can get all of the previous episodes. I'd also love if you subscribe on Apple, iTunes, If you subscribe on Google or Spotify or wherever else, give me a positive review. I certainly appreciate that. If you are listening, thank you so much. You can also watch on churchpublic.com or on YouTube. Just search Church Public as one word. And if you feel like supporting, I certainly appreciate that too. That is churchpublic.com slash support. All right, so today I just want to start with a little bit of the story because And I really want to start with the pilgrims. I think the pilgrims get a bad rap, and especially now they get a bad rap for two reasons. You see, our children are taught in schools that the pilgrims were one of two things. Either they were a group of repressed religious zealots in these stark black and white clothes with the shiny shoes, right, and the hats and all the things, and, and they had... Uh, one time the successful harvest and that inspired them to share their bounty, the harvest, right, with the Indians and that gives us Thanksgiving and that's basically all the pilgrims did and that's all you hear about and maybe your kids in elementary school make the feathers or the turkey or blah, 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 whatever and that is all that the pilgrims are or that's the first thing. The second thing that we are now taught is that the pilgrims are a bunch of ruthless genocidal colonizers that mass murdered everyone they met in the New World and if that sounds extreme to you, believe me, many schools are teaching that very thing. So I would say our children don't seem to be taught the full history of the pilgrims. Yes, there was some issue with what happened in America, but to say that the pilgrims were the only ones uh, who were in danger or endangered people in this land is, is just completely missing the whole point Uh, that many of the tribes that were here already constantly were battling and and attacking and killing and sometimes eating one another. These are just things that happened here. But the truth about the pilgrims is, for the majority, they were a group of people who escaped religious persecution. They went into a new and a difficult land. And they actually did befriend the native people. There are some amazing and and incredible stories involving Squanto and some others that I'm not going to get into today, but that God's providence was clearly on them. And they did share farming tips and they shared meals together and they thanked God for God's blessing. And the pilgrims were also, perhaps more importantly, committed to establishing a colony or a group of colonies based on self-government, number one, and number two, religious freedom. This religious freedom is the piece that I really want to point to today. However, the self-government is also a really important point. 
the pilgrims were part of this Puritan movement. It was a separatist movement. It was coming out of sometimes this oppressive Church of England. When the printed English Bible became available, that was a huge turning point for really the entire Christian faith. Because up until that point, and especially if you study any of the Dark Ages and medieval period and things like that, there was no way for people to connect with God directly. They even, like, if you didn't know, stained glass windows and many of the cathedrals and churches across Europe tell a story because most of the people couldn't read. So you could look up at this stained glass window and see the story of the Bible laid out in these beautiful, amazing colors. So next time, if you happen to visit a cathedral, make sure you look at some of these things and see what is going on in them because it's incredible the way that God has uh, orchestrated this and the way that the leaders gave this. However, what we're talking about is all of a sudden this printing press is, uh, is, is instituted and people have the Bible in their hands. You know, not everybody has one like today and not everyone has one on their phone like today. Obviously that's a different thing, but they could, as a family, as a community, they could open the Bible and they could read their own Bible and, and, or, or at least someone could read it to them. And all of a sudden they started reading and started realizing, hey, I can have a relationship with God on my own. And so these, this group of people, uh, they were called Puritans or, or some other sometimes derogatory names by the church. All of a sudden they realized they could seek and they could serve God on their own without the aid of the governmentally controlled Church of England. And that's really what it was at this period in time. They had to, if you were going along with society, follow what the king decreed. And the small group of people wanted to serve God as they saw fit and they wanted to be free from this Church of England and free from the direction of the king. They were labeled separatists. They were labeled purists, and that led to Puritan, and, and these were originally derogatory terms, and they were potentially traitors. Many were persecuted, jailed, and even killed because they didn't follow the teaching of the Church of England. This is a big problem. So, for religious freedom, they fled. Many left England, many went to Holland. Um, the Puritans, this particular group, went to Holland for around 11 years and then they were able to get a ship or a couple of ships actually together to go to this new world and try to begin this society, this culture, this colony that then could worship God in whatever way they wanted. And the way they wanted was to worship in freedom, this religious freedom that we talk about today. So they were able to commission two ships to take them to the new world. One of them I'm sure you have heard, and that is the Mayflower. Unfortunately, the second ship, it had a leak apparently right after it departed and they had to go back to England on that second ship. So not all the Puritans even made it on that first journey. So the founding and settling of our great country rests on this truth. People came first from there, then from all over the world in search of this freedom to establish colonies where they could openly live, where they could govern themselves according to their religious dictates. They didn't come here just to have a Sunday worship service like we think of church today. You just go one day a week and then you're off the hook for the rest of the time. You can live however you want. That is, one, not the way God wants you to live, if you go back to the scriptures for that. But two, that is not what this group of people had in mind. What they really wanted to do, because that's what they came from. It, we, we have such... We take this such for granted and it drives me a little bit crazy that we have the opportunity to worship God in any way that we want to, at least for now. 
and we only go on Sunday. This group was exactly the opposite. They were only allowed to worship God on Sundays. They were only allowed to go on Sundays and they were only allowed to worship God in the way that England and the King of England allowed them to do so. Instead, they wanted to be able to worship God in the freedom to incorporate the teachings of the Bible intentionally in their whole life, in their everyday life, in their speech, in their work, in their worship, and yes, even in the government. That may sound crazy to you right now because you've heard this ultimately kind of lie or at least half-truth that there's supposed to be this separation of church and state and therefore you cannot have any inkling of religion in school or in church or in school or in government or anywhere like that. And the reality is, even from the beginning in these Puritan colonies, and we'll talk more about the established American government in just a moment, but that was never the case. <laughs> that was never the case as the founders intended that the Bible would be eliminated from all of, of, of government. Uh, in fact, it was almost entirely the opposite that the Bible inspired this community and the communities following and they felt they actually held the secret to successful self-government and this was it. I'm holding the Bible if you're just listening on audio. They believed, the Puritans believed, that the secret to successful self-government is actually the reality that only a religious and a moral people could be trusted to govern themselves. We've talked about this before, but it's entirely true. Again, if you cannot govern yourself, in other words, have a good character, have good morality, do the right thing, be trusted to be responsible with your life and the lives of your family and the lives of others around you, if you can't be trusted to do that and you are an irresponsible, immoral, um, just bad, if you want to say evil person, which there are of, of course, but if you cannot be a moral person, a person of good character, and a person, according to the Puritans, according to the scriptures, who follows after God, if you cannot govern yourself, then there is no way, there just isn't a way you can self-govern. Um, in other words, you, you can't prospect that onto the government and expect that it's going to work. And the Puritans knew this. They knew that only a moral people could be trusted with liberty. And that really leads us into the Declaration. I know there's a lot in between here and there, about 150 years, and I don't want to bore you with a bunch of history. I love it. I know some of you I've talked to have loved it. Some of you just glaze over and start taking a nap as soon as I start talking about some of this history, but it is important. It's important because we need to understand not only where these people came from and, and what, what they were trying to accomplish. They really were trying to accomplish this place that allowed people to have the freedom to worship and, and the freedom of expression of worship. That's how it was later written into some of the documents. Because this is important. It's important to have this freedom to worship because without this freedom to worship, all of a sudden, again, we're back to what was happening in the previous state. We're back to what was happening in the England and many other countries where it was you worshipped how the government told you to worship. And if you didn't know, there is not freedom in that, right? If, if the government is telling you how to worship, then you are not free to worship. For instance, this morning, as I was preparing for this and kind of reading the news, as I do every morning after I check out the Bible, see what it says, and, and again, refresh myself in the spirit of God so that I'm not off a cliff, which 
I have a tendency to be, right? As we all do. I'm reading this morning a prominent, I'm not going to use names because I try not to use names unless it's really important, but a very prominent large leader in a large, maybe the largest church in Australia mentioned that not only are churches there being shut down again, you are not allowed to sing in front of other people at all, singing, right? Uh, an act of worship that is as old as the Bible, right? Uh, we, we, for a lot of history, I mean, Jubal's the first one, but again, we're not going to get into Bible history at this moment, but singing is a huge part of our Judeo-Christian worship. So we are not allowed to sing in Australia. And he said, uh, accordingly, they are not even allowed to have a singer in front of a camera leading worship for their people. I, I can't even, like, it's so unintelligible and so insane for a government to give that kind of mandate. Like, again, I spent a lot of the last year in California where many of the churches were asked or forced to close. Many churches had millions of dollars in fines for staying open, the ones that did, and many just shut down entirely. And I'm not going to get back into that argument again, except to say the government clearly, not only in America, England, Canada, there's all kinds of Canadian things going on that we've talked about, but Australia as well. All of these Western countries, which again, the reason we're talking about this is we all kind of came up together in this. Some of us went some different ways and had different aspects of freedom, but for at least 100 or 200 years, we've had some form of religious freedom in all of these countries, and now we clearly do not. This religious freedom is going out the window with crazy, just crazy edicts like I can't stand in front of a camera and sing worship songs to you. I literally, it, it just, I, it almost renders me speechless though at this moment I'm going to keep talking because that's what I'm doing, but it, it just is mind boggling and actual insanity to, to prescribe for people. This is the way you must worship. We are back to this place where the government is telling you when and how you can worship and my point in saying all this is the founders, the Puritans, the pilgrims that came here did not want this for you and did not want this for us because they knew that freedom of worship was such an important and essential thing. So um, I just I want to get back a little bit into the story because we are talking about the 4th of July and it is a good thing to celebrate. And uh, I tend to go towards these things that are being shut down and, and the problems that we're having because we have to understand the culture. But today I want to understand why it's really cool what some of these founders did and how we got to where we are now. So back to the King of England. And we get closer from the, the Puritans, the pilgrims arriving here. We go through many years, 100, 150 years. All of a sudden, we're in the 1700s, the 1770s. And, and it's not going particularly great for many of the people in America in the sense that there were outrageous taxes. There were shrinking freedoms. And of course, there was a lot of slavery and people in America, especially those men and women who were following after God, were crying out and saying, slavery is bad and we cannot do this. And they were beginning to fight for slavery, but the very government that was controlling the land said, you can't do that. For instance, in 1774, Pennsylvania, as a colony, kind of a state colony at that point, 
passed a law that said they were anti-slavery. The King of England responded back and said, no, you cannot pass that law. He in essence vetoed the law and said, because you are part of the larger British empire, you cannot end slavery. So there were men like Benjamin Franklin, who you've probably heard of, Benjamin Rush, who you probably haven't heard of, said, fine, we don't want to be part of the British Empire anymore. And it was things like that that began this direction for these British colonies and then soon to be Americans. They began moving in this direction to say, we need to separate from this British Empire. They are not good for us. And they are beginning again to quell our freedoms, both religious freedoms and actual physical freedoms of these slaves. So Ben Rush, Ben Franklin started the National Abolition Movement around this time. Um, they also started the first abolition society. They began abolitionist movements across the colonies and then later the states. And so Franklin, among others, ready to be done with the tyranny of the King of England again, just like the pilgrims were so many years before, he helped draft the Declaration of Independence. And that gets us to the celebration of this weekend, July 4th. And it actually was a really long and it was a, almost a multi-year process of drafting the Declaration of Independence, trying to figure out how these colonies were going to separate from Britain. And again, I'm not going to get into all the history of that because what I want you to feel is the spirit of it. You've heard of the spirit of 1776. Um, that spirit is important because it, I don't know if you've ever been to Washington or Virginia in the summer. It's it's not lovely. I mean, I, I, I'm in Texas right now in the summer and it's, it's not amazing. And fortunately, I have a little bit of air conditioning. They didn't have air conditioning back then. So they're sitting in these hot and stuffy rooms and trying to figure out how to do this. And Ben Franklin is proposing all of these things and other people are proposing, how do we say to the king and say to the British Empire, we're out of here and we wanna be our own country. And it took a long time. And in fact, there again, there's a lot of stories. I'm not going to read them today for brevity, but there are a lot of stories on how they included these men who, again, there's a lot of people saying that these men were all just white supremacists trying to support slavery. That is just frankly, plain period, not true. It's not true. They were trying to get out of the actual slavery and the tenants of the British Empire. And they even brought in pastors, preachers, they would pray for sometimes hours a day before these sessions trying to figure out God's will so that they could be a free nation and once again have freedom for uh, worship, freedom of speech, and of course freedom and justice for all as you hear in the pledge but also reflected in the documents of the Declaration and later the Constitution. So on July 4th, 1776, as you know, they declared America to be free from the king and from the British Empire. If you have a few minutes, I would highly recommend you read the Declaration of Independence this weekend. It is an incredible document. Yes, it has some older language in it, so it's a little bit hard to understand, but you have the interwebs and uh, it, you know if you run across a word you don't know it's pretty easy to look up but in but it's just such a great document exposing the tyranny of england and um allowing you to see into the hearts of these guys who just really wanted freedom and justice for all now I should stop there as we are celebrating July 4th, but I wanna go just a little bit further because July 4th was a day and it was an incredible day and it was this monumental day that we now celebrate even this year. But if we go a little bit further, we realize that it took 
a little bit of time to get America onto its feet. And obviously there was a long and bloody war in between July 4th and when we actually became free and the British government and soldiers went home. So I'm not gonna go through all of the war. Again, it's fascinating and, and you should read about the war uh, for independence that America fought. And it, it's, it's really great there are such amazing battles. There are a couple where God did some crazy things with, I believe God stepped in, did some things with wind, did some things like with very few American soldiers defeating tons and tons of British soldiers that should not have been possible, like literally should not have been possible. And God provided some incredible miracles through that. But I don't want to get into all that because again, I don't want to put you to sleep with all of the boring history. I don't think it's boring. Some of you do. That's okay. But what I want to talk about is why the declaration matters and, and then how then and now we're supposed to live and be governed. And I think that's the important thing. I think that's the important thing that we need to get to that just helps us understand that while these documents are old, the same as some other documents are old. And, and again, if you can't see and you're just listening, I'm again holding up the Bible that many people point to and say, well, the Bible is just a bunch of old documents written by old men that doesn't have any interest or any affection towards our lives today. And the reality couldn't be farther from the truth. Both of these documents are true. Obviously, I place the Bible above the human made documents like the Declaration, but, but it's an important document because it's important to what happened and how we became a free nation and how we're supposed to live even today, which by and large, we're not following both the Bible and the declaration. Uh, by and large, we're not really following either at this point. And that's sad to me, but this is kind of a short reminder that maybe we could get a little closer to it. So in the way of doing that, what I'd like to do is just look at George Washington. And many of you, again, if you went through school, you heard about him having a cherry tree and an ax and wooden teeth and all this other stuff and fine, whatever. That doesn't really tell you about who he really was and, and how he led. And, and the, the point that I want to pick out here is how he led in the, both in his greatness as a leader, but really in his submission to God. And that I think really was his greatest asset. And what I know going through school for me, I literally never heard of. I, I'm going to read you just a couple of quotes, a couple of things that he has written. And I never read these as a kid. I was never introduced to his faith as a kid. And obviously so. The school system in America is designed, and especially now, to make you hate America. It really is. And it's unfortunate. And I dislike that. Um, with every fiber in my being. I think we should love America in the sense, not in a weird putting it above God situation, but in a way that it has created more freedom for anyone in the history of the world. And that is patently true. You, you, there is no statistical evidence that you can argue that existent in, in the universe at the moment. And that's, that's something to celebrate, and, and we should celebrate that. So what I want to point to is George Washington and specifically his faith. George Washington himself believed that America was under the divine protection of Providence and was destined to win this revolution. So during the war, he wrote to this guy named Reverend William Gordon. George Washington wrote, quote, No man has a more perfect reliance on the all-wise and powerful dispensations of the supreme being, that's God, than I have, nor thinks his aid is more necessary, end quote. In other words, George Washington said, In the midst of all of this battle, I know that I 
have to be totally 100% all reliant on God, on the wisdom of God, on all that God gives me, and the necessity of me following God in everything I do, especially through these battles and this war. He believed that God was going to help them win this war because he believed that freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom for all was a better place to be over oppression in all of these different ways that you can read about in the Declaration, that they list all the different ways that the country of England and the king specifically oppressed them. George Washington believed that people were not supposed to live that way, and because the freedom they were fighting for was valid. He believed that God was helping them. And, and I, I do believe, in fact, that God did. Again, I don't think this is a Christian nation per se, but these principles are the things that I want you to see. In 1778, May 2, he issued some orders to his troops and he instructed, quote, while we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers. Again, he's writing to his soldiers saying, you guys are doing a great job doing this. However, he says, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion. He's the general of the armies of what's going to be the United States of America at that point was a ragtag bunch of colonies. He says to them, religion, and he goes on, quote, to the distinguished character of the patriot, it should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. Did you hear that? He's writing to his soldiers saying, you guys are great and I appreciate you fighting. And it is certainly a great duty and honor that you're doing that you are fighting. And you have a great character that you are fighting for something bigger than yourselves. However, it is even a greater duty that you have a character of a Christian. It's not just that you're a good fighter. It's not that you're fighting for a good cause. It's not that you are protecting your community and your family and this new country at large. The best and most important thing is that you have a character of a Christian. He goes on to say, quote, the signal in, uh, sorry, the instances of providential goodness, which we have experienced and which we have now almost crowned our labors with complete success, again, nearing the end of the war, demand from us in a peculiar manner, the warmest returns of gratitude and piety to the supreme author of all good. In other words, all of the success that they have had as an army, George Washington, the leader of this army, is saying comes from God. And we then need to be so thankful and so submissive to God because he is so good to us. I really like ending on this point because it not only reminds us of where we came from, both through the pilgrims, the Puritans, the authors of the Declaration, and the great general and first president of the United States, point to something bigger. It is not just about America. It is and always has been about following Jesus. It is about the freedom that we have been given by this government that is great and we are not guaranteed. And whether it stays or whether it doesn't, it is what it is. We will continue to follow God and the character that you have, the way that you follow Christ, the way that Jesus tells us to love God and love others, to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind is the most important thing because that character that we build through following God is really the most important thing. And we should all want to be good citizens. Some of us will be soldiers. Some of us have been soldiers. And I thank you for that personally. But all of us need to be attentive to God, even if we are, and I believe we should be patriots, as Washington points out, our first and highest duty is to be Christians. 
We are to be grateful to God, not only for the founding of this nation, but for every good and perfect gift that he gives us. As James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Though this culture is miles from where it was and may or may not ever be there again, you, your family, perhaps even your community, can seek after Jesus and, like others before, quite literally, change the world. God bless America. God bless you. And let's keep the faith.